Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us to investigate the Bible in detail in regard to Jesus' favorite topic, what he called the Gospel concerning the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that the seeds of the Gospel, the roots of the Gospel, are found in the Hebrew Bible, what we unfortunately call the Old Testament. The Old Testament, you see, is not really old or passé or disposable. On no account should we think of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, as obsolete. Now, one can demonstrate this most easily from two simple facts. Firstly, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul referred to the scriptures that Timothy had known from a child. And those scriptures, of course, would include that 77% of our Bible that we call the Old Testament. Secondly, of course, Jesus was reared on the Hebrew Scriptures. He quotes the Hebrew Bible with great frequency from all parts of it, especially, I might add, from the book of Daniel. But Jesus quotes also from the Psalms and Isaiah with great frequency and from the Law of Moses, the first five books. In fact, in Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus gave an account of the entirety of the Old Testament Scriptures as far as they referred to him directly. He spoke there of the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That, incidentally, was the threefold division of the Hebrew Bible, as the Jews still have it to this day. The Jesus Bible, you might be interested to know, had the same books exactly as our present Old Testament, except that the books were arranged in a different order. If you'd like further details on that rearrangement of the books of the Old Testament, and how they appeared in the original manuscripts, write to us at the address to be given at the end of the program, or telephone us for further details. It's a matter of some interest to students of the Bible that the books as we have them arranged now do not reflect the order of the books as Jesus had them in his own day, but we can assure readers of the Bible, of course, that the books themselves are the same books. Now, in the New Testament also, the order is not exactly as they're found in the original manuscripts. In our versions since early centuries, the letters of Paul have been advanced ahead of James, Peter, John, and Jude. In the original manuscript version, we find James, Peter, John, and Jude as more prominently placed than they are in the order we now have them. Now, this may be a matter of interest to students of the Bible, because in subtle ways, the order of the books does perhaps affect the emphasis that we place on the different writings of the New Testament. But anyway, back to our subject of the Gospel as being rooted and founded in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. My second point about the Gospel, in addition to the inspiration of Scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16, is a fact stated beautifully in Galatians 3, verse 8. There Paul wrote, The Gospel was preached to Abraham. Now, that's an amazing statement. Could you, as a student of the Scriptures, describe the Gospel by turning to the life of Abraham? It would seem from Paul's remark that the Gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, Galatians 3.8, that we ought to become acquainted then with what that Gospel was as revealed to Abraham, the great patriarch, the father of the faithful. And so our investigation of the kingdom of God, Jesus' favorite topic, takes a new turn at this point. As we consider the kingdom of God gospel 
as rooted in the promises made to Abraham in the book of Genesis. Now, in one of the most solemn declarations of all time, the Almighty God promised to give Abraham an entire country on a mountaintop, somewhere between Bethel and Ai, in the land of Canaan, God commanded the father of the faithful, as Abraham is called in Romans 4.16, to look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, because the entire land you're looking at, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants forever. Now, those momentous words spoken by the God of Israel to Abraham are found in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. As an additional assurance of God's gift to him, God then instructed Abraham to, and I quote, Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Verse 17 of Genesis 13. Now, Abraham's conception of the ultimate reward of faith was firmly linked to the earth. As he looked northward, Abraham would have seen the hills of Judea marking the border with Samaria. Towards the south, the view extended to Hebron, where later the patriarchs were to be buried in the only piece of land ever owned by Abraham. To the east lay the mountains of Moab, and to the west, of course, the Mediterranean Sea. Now this divine oath on the part of the God of Israel guaranteed to Abraham perpetual ownership of a large portion of the earth. Later, the promise was repeated and made the basis of a solemn covenant. I quote again, And I, the Lord God, will establish my covenant between me and you, Abraham, and your descendants after you in their generations, as an everlasting covenant, and I'm going to give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you now reside as a foreigner, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8. It would not seem possible that the terms of God's promise to Abraham could possibly be misunderstood. And yet, by a miracle of misinterpretation, it would seem, some theology has handled these innocent passages in a way which actually deprives Abraham of his inheritance and seems to make God an unreliable witness. Traditional Bible teaching seems to have almost no interest in the land promised to Abraham, as can be seen by inspecting the indexes of standard systematic theologies and so on. Bible dictionaries and commentaries. And yet, as an Old Testament expert says, in the first six books of the Bible, there is probably no more important idea than that expressed in terms of the land promised and later granted by Yahweh, the Lord God. Now, the promise to Abraham is unique. Among all the traditions of the world, this is the only one that tells of a promise of land by God to a people. Because the land is promised on oath, another expert on the Old Testament suggests that it might more properly be called the sworn land. What we call the holy land might be well named the sworn land, the land given to Abraham by oath on the part of God. So compelling was this promise of land to Abraham 
that it became a living power in the life of Israel. The promise to Abraham becomes a ground for ultimate hope for the people of Israel. There's a gospel for Israel in the Abrahamic covenant. Now we recall at this point again the statement with which we began today that the Christian gospel was preached in advance to Abraham. So Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 8. Now students of the Old Testament point out that large sections of the law of Moses make the divine promise to Abraham the very bedrock on which all the subsequent history of Israel rests. One expert on the Old Testament maintains that the whole of the books from Genesis to Joshua, with all of its vast complexity, was governed by the theme of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham in the settlement in Canaan. We might add that the Abrahamic covenant really permeates the whole of Scripture because, as we're going to see, the covenant promises to Abraham are still unfulfilled. And therein lies the excitement and the tension and the drama of the whole biblical story. Patriarchs, of course, expected to inherit a portion of this planet. This is perfectly obvious, not only from the divine promises made to them, but also from their zeal to be buried in the land of Israel. Genesis 50, verse 5. The land promised to Abraham and his offspring runs, we might say, like a golden thread throughout the book of Genesis. The key words in the following passages are land and give and possess and heir and covenant. It's most interesting to note the great frequency of the word land in Bible concordances and then to see how the same word land is almost entirely absent from the indexes of books claiming to explain the Bible. So here then is the promise to Abraham as found in the book of Genesis. Genesis 12 verse 1 Go to the land I'm going to show you. All the land which you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. A son will come from your own body, and he will be your heir. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I am going to give this land. I will make nations from you, and kings will come from you also. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you live now as an alien, I am going to give it to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Abraham, the text of Genesis goes on to say, will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, Genesis 18, verses 18 and 19, and your descendants, Abraham, will take possession of the cities of their enemies. God promised to Abraham on oath, saying, To your offspring, Abraham, I will give this land. And furthermore, Genesis says in Genesis 20, verse 7, that Abraham was a prophet. Now, my point in that rather lengthy reading of texts from the book of Genesis was to establish one indisputable fact. That is that God made a covenant 
to give a large section of the earth, the land of Canaan, not only to the descendants of Abraham, we must take careful note of that fact, but also to Abraham himself. Now that promise of the land to Abraham himself has never been fulfilled. In fact, we read in Acts, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 5, that God promised the entirety of the land where the people were living at that time to Abraham, and yet he did not receive a square foot of it. Acts 7 verse 5. Now what does this mean then for the outcome of the drama of the entire Bible? Well, simply this, that Abraham must yet rise from the dead to receive his covenant promise about the land. Abraham lived as an alien in the promised land. We read in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. It means, therefore, that Abraham never received the covenant promise which is so often underlined and stressed and emphasized in those passages from Genesis we've just been reading. The tension of the biblical drama is therefore summed up in this simple fact that we're waiting for Abraham to receive the promise that God made to him. Remember again that the promise of the land was not made only to the descendants of Abraham, it was made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob personally. Those men died never having received the promise. It therefore follows that they have to be resurrected in the future to receive the promise. And that promise is extended now to Christians as the kingdom of God or the land. Remember our key point for today's program, that the gospel was preached to Abraham in advance, Galatians 3.8. Join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.